Welcome to the Cyber Rants Podcast, where we're all about sharing the forbidden secrets and slightly embellished truths of corporate cybersecurity programs. We're ranting, we're raving, and we're telling you the stuff that nobody talks about in their fancy marketing materials, all to help you protect your company from cybersecurity criminals. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Rotondo, Zach Fuller, and Laura Chavez. Hello and welcome to the Cyber Rants Podcast. This is your co-host, Zach Fuller, joined by Mike Rotondo and Laura Chavez. We have a good episode planned for you today, but before we dive into that, let's uh, start off with the news. Mike? Hey, good morning. I started out with the top 11 headlines instead of the normal 10 today because there was some interesting stuff out there. Uh, first, the hackers are actively probing millions of WordPress sites. Again, uh, Word, WordPress issues are uh, expanding and people are looking for them. Um, something interesting from a cloud world, multi-cloud environments leaving business at a risk due to the complexity of multiple cloud configurations, um, it's now seeing increasing risk. So if you think it's just stating things in the cloud is a good thing and makes everything safe, it ain't. Um, hey, guess what? Microsoft advises ditching voice, SMS, multi-factor authentication. Uh, apparently that's no longer safe. Uh, according to Microsoft, because they know everything about security. Um, next one, nearly two dozen AWS APIs are vulnerable to abuse. Uh, this is according to Palo Alto, so be careful with AWS. Um, this is an interesting piece, especially people in the pen test world. Uh, alleged decompiled source code of Cobalt, Cobalt Strike Toolkit leaked online. It's at GitHub for Cobalt Strike 4.0. Uh, so, you know, maybe save some money. Um, malware activity spikes 128% using office document phishing. Um, so be aware, uh, they're using a lot of, uh, a lot of office documents with Emotet, uh, embedded in it. So ain't good. Uh, Microsoft says three APTs have targeted seven COVID-19 vac- vaccine makers. Um, if you don't know what an APT is, Advanced Persistent Threat Organization, we've got people from Russia, North Korea, and China all attacking uh, vaccine manufacturers. Um, hey, guess what? Microsoft again. Windows Kerberos authentication breaks due to security updates. So that's always good news. That's CVE 2020-17049. Take a look at it. Um, next thing, cybercrime moves to the cloud to accelerate attacks amid data glut. There's so much data out there, the cyber criminals are now migrating to the cloud. So keep that in mind. This is kind of scary and kind of sad. Uh, healthcare organizations are sitting ducks for attacks and breaches. Um, biggest problem is it takes up to 118 days to 181 days to fill a cybersecurity position at a healthcare organization simply because of demand, which is good for those of us in our business. Dozens of ransomware gangs partner with hackers to extort victims. I guess this is called Hacker Synergy. Uh, They are now partnering together to make themselves that much more virulent. And that's it. Laura, anything on uh, exploits? I hope I get get some time sometime to say... No, I have nothing this week to report. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not the case. And for everybody out there who's got their websites or web presence or running whatever blog that they think they need on WordPress, make sure you get the WordFence web application firewall for that. Works very well. All right. Into vulnerabilities. A couple things if you're running Mozilla Firefox or Thunderbird, there's some pretty serious stuff. Uh, So check out the 2020-49 series of patches. uh, Get that installed. 
Uh, Apple iOS, the older versions, 12.4 and 14, uh, have some security updates. Um, nothing extremely major, but um, all good for embedded apps and for the operating systems to get that done. Uh, there's certainly a pretty serious one for MongoDB. So if you're out there using MongoDB for um, for REST services, uh, make sure you check the vendor for that NoSQL injection patch. Pretty nasty. And then finally, uh, SaltStack. Um, if you're using SaltStack out there, um, there's a, a, a shell side injection for RCE. So make sure that you you get that patched. And that's that's really it for vulnerabilities this week. Stay vigilant. All right, thank you, Mike and Lauro. Today we're going to talk about something that I'm um, particularly excited about. This is something that we've we've come to realize over the last couple of years here, um, and something that a lot of people in our industry aren't talking about, and that is using cybersecurity as an asset to the company. Right? Most people think of it as a sunk sunk cost. They think, oh, we got to you know spend budgets on this. I'm, I'm talking about those of us outside the field, right? So you go to your average CFO, CEO, COO, they're going to look at this and say, okay, great. I guess we have to do this, but uh, I'm going to drag my feet a little bit, right? I'm going to try to get by with the bare minimum. But companies are starting to realize that cybersecurity uh, really can be used to grow revenue and uh, open new opportunities. It's a business enabler. And one of the examples that we've seen of that was a uh, organization that we helped actually land a, uh, a million dollar per year revenue contract. And this contract was on the line, it was being bottlenecked in the sales process. Um, this is a B2B tech company. And they uh, would not have landed this contract if they weren't able to uh, leverage us uh, or leverage somebody like us to be able to get a um, get the fundamentals in place that they needed in order to meet the security requirements and and more importantly a long-term plan of action milestone something that they could report progress on over time to keep that contract um, so it's pretty awesome and since then we've, we've been able to help clients just grow and there's a little bit of a shameless plug here but I but I don't mind it just shows the power of it we've been able to help our clients of silent sector grow millions in revenue over the last couple of years um, by getting through the security questionnaires, the sales bottlenecks, the compliance requirements, even things like SOC 2 audits and such, so that they can put security at the forefront of their, their organization. So um, I, you know, I'll pause there, Mike and Laurel, feel free to jump in with your comments, but um, I could I could go on and on and on. Um, for multiple episodes about this topic. So I'm excited about what we're going through today. Well, sure. Uh, Zach, thanks for that. And, um, you know, I guess kind of talk about maybe one of the, I think one of the strong points that, that I like to, to kind of relate this to um, and, and how effective this is, is it's just kind of picture yourself as a, as a CEO, <clears throat> you've just got a, you know, you've got a you know, pretty good company going, but you're not extremely mature yet. And you get this, you know, big, you get this big attorney language stuff, you know, maybe it's a lawsuit, whatever. You're not going to try to act on that on your own, are you? You're probably going to hire an attorney to coordinate that type of paperwork and that type of information, that type of inquiry with the, with the asking attorney firm. In the same respect, I think that's what, what, what makes a, a significant difference is when a large um, organization, right? I mean, like a like an Apple or Google, right? Not to drop the names, but you know, when we're talking about a large organization, 
and their cybersecurity team, rather their governance compliance team, hits you with a third-party security questionnaire, and you 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 know not only are not answering the questions maybe properly, or you're intimidated by those questions. Having it's, it's the same situation like having an attorney. The security professional is going to be able to, to to digest those questions and respond appropriately and very quickly and thoroughly and most importantly accurately to your environment. And and it's going to be as two attorneys communicating with one another. We understand the language. The cybersecurity professionals at the firm, requesting firm, are going to understand the language that that we're responding to um, on behalf of the client. And I think that that translation, if you want to call it that, right, for for lack of a better term, it's babblefish, right? It it I think it streamlines the process. Um, I also think that uh, you know it's it's important too because. A lot of the questionnaires that you're going to receive are not going to align to the business model that you may be presenting on to that client, right? Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the questionnaires are pulled um, from requirements out of NIST and, and PCI and things like that, and they're they're thrown into in certain random order inside of a spreadsheet um, called a third-party questionnaire and, and sent to the client. Some of them actually follow. Uh, something like NIST 853 um, and, and, and have corresponding control sets um, or even sometimes PCI. But you may, you may, receive, these, you may receive these questionnaires and, and look at them and say, wow, um, what, what am I, how am I supposed to respond? What am I supposed to respond to? And, and I think, you know, back to what, what Zach was talking about, I think, that is, I think that is the moment when you realize that you need, you need to reach out to the attorney, right? When you get that when you get that paper from that attorney firm, right? And when you get that third party questionnaire and you're starting to, to be curious about your answers, I think it's time. I mean, would, wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah, and, I, and the, the, the other problem is that they're not standardized, right? I mean, like you were alluding to is that, you know, this com- company asked this and we be asked this and they're really trying to ask the same question, but they're asking it differently. And if you don't, you're not steeped in cybersecurity verbiage and, and in the business, you just don't understand it. Although I, I do take umbrage with being compared to an attorney, um, they uh, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it's very much the case. I mean, and we're you know there's clients that we're working with currently that are just you know looking at these things and they want to say NA to everything because it's like well it's not what we do it's not what we do because they've been sent a boilerplate uh, questionnaire and then they're afraid they're going to lose a sale or they're going to lose you know a client because they can't answer these questions properly and it just kind of it, it causes a lot of hangering where you really need a cybersecurity professional to, to deal with these kind of issues. And then, you know, the other thing, and I was just talking to someone the other day and, you know, they do a lot of business with very big clients um, and they're a smaller company. And we've been talking about their third party assessment process. And it was like, well, do you have one of these with, you know, this big company? And they said, well, we asked for them. They basically told us to pound sand. So um, it kind of goes, both ways it's kind of it's kind of weird like the big companies will ask you for you know everything and uh you ask them for anything and the answer is no um so i mean it's just kind of uh it's an interesting world out there for that it it is it is very interesting and and what what you know so i i you know for those listening i i see security questionnaires all the time i mean I'm, i'm answering sometimes upwards of 20 a week on behalf of clients um, that's, that's peak max, but it's still quite hefty, right? When you've got 80 plus, sometimes 200 plus online questionnaires. Some people put them in portals. Some people are sending the, the, the Excel file sheets still. 
And here's what I say, um, you know, to organizations, what I see is that just like Mike said is, you know, the big organizations are asking you, they're saying, deliver us all your policies. And some of these companies, when we come on, when we, when we get, when we get involved, we find out that they've been sending all of their internal documents, diagrams, every intimate detail they can. They've just been blatantly sending it to this company. And what I'm going to tell you is that just because you work at a fortune 50 company doesn't make you a smart cybersecurity professional. Okay. (laughs) There is a such thing as data hoarding. And as Mike said, it goes both ways. Okay, if, if I'm giving you my data, then I have the right to audit you and assess you and request control configuration documents from you, right? And that's just how it goes. It doesn't matter how, how small or, or big you are. And so in the questionnaires, when what I tell people is that, um, and, and this is the advice I give clients and this is the, the responses that I give. If a question if we're, if we're a consulting firm and we're doing business on behalf of a large organization that needs our consulting and we're not offering a widget and we don't have a SaaS and there's not any kind of web application involved, it's simply just remote access from a laptop to a third party's web application, right? Say, you know, say we're doing, you know, some work in, you know, um, Hoobadooba Hooba and they're, you know, like a, a CRM, right? So we're up in Hoobadooba Hooba and you're a member of them too. And we're just, you're giving us access to your realm and we're going to come in and do some data aggregation for you. A lot of these questions aren't going to apply. So what I what I respond to is that in the questions that are that would that would directly apply to the Hubba CRM company, I say in the questionnaire that I'm answering on behalf of the of the big client, say, hey, this is not applicable to us. You can find this data in your security questionnaire that you should have on file for Hubba CRM company. And I throw it back in their court and say, hey, look, this is something you should have. And do a better job of understanding what type of business model that your company is is starting to bolt on with, and to better understand how you should really kind of tear down and more um, more more finitely prescribe your security questionnaire to that organization. Right. That's my favorite CRM, by the way. For anybody who hasn't checked it out, it's it's the best on the market. Hooba de hoop. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's proprietary, but. Uh, I couldn't drop the name. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to name it. This is my best. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it. It's interesting too, because that's when a lot of companies nowadays are, are, are reaching out when um, they have that problem, right? So they um, primarily, I think what we're seeing is, is most of the companies in this space that are really having an issue with the security questionnaires are these emerging technology companies. So usually like a B2B tech company, right? And they're going after larger enterprise clients and um, kind of stepping into the big leagues and they get hit with this thing. And then all of a sudden the deal's on the line. So our, our uh, encouragement to all the companies out there is get ahead of this stuff um, be in advance. Don't wait till that security questionnaire comes down. And the, the way you do that is by picking a cybersecurity framework and starting working on the alignment to it. Right, because if you're aligned to a good framework, then all those those questions you're going to be able to cover down on much more easily. Even though they're never in the same format, there's no kind of standard approach. Although I know there's all these software platforms out there trying to create the the one standard security questionnaire. I don't see it happen because every CISO wants to put their mark, you know, their stamp of approval, their methodology on it for their own company. And as the big guys, and you're trying to get their business they don't really care if you have to go through a different questionnaire every single time, right? It's not in their best interest to make it standardized. Um, so you need to align to a framework and start working on your answers that will 
that you can that you can use for those questions, um, even though the, the formats are going to come out different every single time. Yeah, and they, and they you know, and, and here's the thing is, it's like taking a test um, where they change the questions. You know, they, they may be similar, but they reword it, and, and that's kind of how I look at this. But, you know, let's, let's talk about real quick, you know, if you get these questionnaires and you can't answer them, like what happens, right? What happens when you have to click in A and all this stuff, right? What happens when you're not really sure and you stall? Well, this, you know, and what happens when you submit this back to the organization? Okay, they have a, they have a risk and governance team that's, you know, probably, you know, third party, this or that, you know, assurance or something. And they, they'll take your answers and they're going to write up a risk report on, on your company based on the answers on that form. It's basically a light, you know, audit, essentially. That risk report is going to go on file and it's going to go to the CISO and it's probably going to go to the board and they're going to see it and they're going to say, hey, you know, they wanted to do business with the CRM, but uh, these guys answered NA on on all of these questions and um, a smart CISO would say, okay, well, that, that sucks. It's too bad. Maybe they had a good product, but do we have anybody else in the realm that may be more expensive, but also offers a better security profile for their, their application platform? that's kind of how their thinking method's gonna go. So from you who didn't answer that correctly, that's kind of what, what they're gonna say, right? So depending on the answers that you, you provide in that questionnaire, and you can't lie because they do have the right, a lot of in the, in the, a lot of the language on the contracts are gonna allow them to do spot audits with, with, within like 30 days of notifying you. Okay, I see that a lot when I'm reviewing that language. Um, and unfortunately, that's just part of it. If you agree to that, or you don't have an attorney look through that and redline it and, you know, put stronger stipulations in there, they're going to have the right to essentially audit you. And the way that that happens with the clients that I serve is that typically we do a, a video Zoom meeting or, you know, similar, and um, it's it's their cybersecurity team or a, a sub subset of that asking me questions about the organization, going through essentially the same checklist that we answer every year, asking to take screenshots. That's where I really like to drive these these types of conversations where they want to see evidence because they need to they need to see that you you certainly demonstrate proper security controls and in, in your documentation controls and, and and the things that you're doing. So they're gonna they're gonna want to come in and audit you. So it's certainly not a good idea to be false. It's very, it'd be better to say something like, we don't have that now, but we're going to, you know, implement that in the next 12 months. And yeah, so I think, you know, <laughs> that's probably the better answer. Right. No, I was just going to agree with you, man. That's actually, you know, most companies will accept that. Yeah, we're working on it, you know. Yeah, so. but but if you flat out, you know, say that you got it and you don't, you're just, you're going to get yourself in a lawsuit, unfortunately. And then, you know, if you, again, if you don't have the controls, don't be scared. It doesn't put you out of the game. You know, a firm like ours, again, we, you know, we can, we can very quickly assist you to get, you know, in a position where you can answer things on that questionnaire appropriately. However, that's what's happening on the other side. When they don't receive the questionnaire, if, if you have a one of a kind and there's no one else in the world like you, and you're like the one thing in the entire planet that does this one thing, like hubba dubba hubba CRM, then they may not have a choice. And they say, look, it's hubba dubba hubba. We got to use them. And maybe they'll make an exception for your bad security that you didn't you didn't remark on your security questionnaire. The other thing I've seen also is that a lot of the security questionnaires they'll just it'll say you know do you have this control in place and please explain and all you'll respond with is a yes or a no. There needs to be when they ask you to explain you need to explain even if it's a sentence you know even if it's five words you need to you need to fill that out and that's because one word answers lead to additional questions. Generally. Always. 
Always. They'll always come back with an email or um, request for a meeting on, on some additional information around the controls that you're trying to be vague about because you probably don't have them. Right. Right. So the moral of the story is don't try to be sneaky. Be honest. They will know. They will know. And they, you got to understand too, the people sending you these security questionnaires have, they're, they're sending them out all over the place and they're seeing all, all kinds of different answers coming in. So they're going to very quickly understand what's kind of what's real and what's not. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the story of my, my father who does some online college teaching and he received uh, three papers in one day from the same laptop uh, for three different people. And they had the audacity to say, Oh no, no, no. We wrote it ourselves. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, it, it, that, that kind of fraud is very easy to find fairly easily. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so I mean, before you do something crazy, just you know, contact us. We'll come. We'll come help you. It's not. It's it's not. It's not going to break the bank, and it's certainly not going to take an aggressive amount of time. You know what I mean? So, I, I, you know, it's certainly something that can be handled. Again, like you know, we started this conversation out. We were we were successful helping that client in getting that deal in under fourteen days. Okay, yeah. from being stalled to under fourteen days, we can deliver. The type of program and come in, you know, and, and continuous control sets that, that the organization needs um, to, to again say to yes to a lot of that. Now, there's something that you're probably not going to be able to do, like SIM, you know, um, removing all of, <laughs> I think another big one is removing all admin privileges from everybody, right? Even the admins need to have two accounts, a user account, an admin account. And you, you've, that's usually takes a little bit, right? Especially for organizations who don't have something like Active Directory running. Uh, in their business yet there there you know there are options out there lightweight options that work very very well but you know these things take time and they take budget and so you know it's going to be able to move as fast as you can unfortunately afford to go and how much of your culture you're willing to ring i guess is what i'll say because some cultures are used to having a specific environment and a lot of these frameworks, when you implement things, change some of the freedoms uh, in the computing around the computing technologies that, that some of your employees are going to be used to. Um, so you have to certainly make that cultural change too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when uh, working at a large bank, we were also always called the sale killers because we, you know, <laughs> made them adhere to certain things. They couldn't say whatever they wanted to say when we were, you know, copying every email they sent and, you know, tracking their voicemail and all sorts of fun big brother type stuff for, for socks, SEC and FINRA and all sorts of things. So, yeah, well now, now it's no longer, now it's sales driver. It's funny how it's, it's completely flopped the other way. Um, right. You know, now companies are better by spending to a line to a framework to demonstrate the good controls to now, cause now they get the one deal that was asking for it. And now all the other deals just come easily. And, and, you know, we have one client that did it way, way, way a long time ago before anybody else was doing this sort of stuff. They said, hey, we, we want to be secure. We want to have some form of attestation that says we're doing this certain framework because they wanted to set themselves apart in the market. And it worked, right. right? I mean, they put themselves light years ahead of their competitors because they're getting the same questionnaires. And I know the competitors are not going to be able to answer the same way, right? Especially considering one of them may be operating out of a garage type environment. You know right. what I mean? So you just can't. You, just, you never know what the technology looks like on the other end. I mean, that's the whole point of the security questionnaires, right? They have to understand how you're modeling your architecture, you know, to, to offer the services that they want to buy from you. One of the things, too, that just, just kind of as a caution is that, you know, you get that questionnaire, whether it's, you know, two pages or 15 pages, 
Um, and there's always that shock and awe factor of, oh my God, can I do this? But most companies that have any kind of framework or any kind of structure in place are generally between 40 and 60% compliant with it already. They just don't realize it and they see that. We see that with NIST too a lot of times is that you're already better off than you think you are, but you still need to improve. And those questionnaires will call those things out, but you know, seeing that and just you know, letting your eyes glaze over and be scared by it doesn't, doesn't, is not a way forward. You need to, that's where you need to engage a company like us or somebody else that'll help you, you know, realize where you're at, get you to where you need to be and help teach you how to maintain to be there to continue to drive the sales. But yeah, I mean, just don't, don't just accept that, oh, we don't have any of this. When in reality, you might have a lot of it. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of translating it to their their questionnaires or that framework that you're required to follow. And, you know, as we wrap up, I think one thing that, that will help people, um, especially if you're in the B2B tech space or you're um, trying to go after DOD type contracts, uh, put yourself in the customer's shoes, right? And understand um, that if I'm a buyer of technology that I'm going to use to improve operations for my organization or, or, or uh, uh, work with data that's, that's critical to my organization, um, what am I looking at first, right? If I'm looking at a SaaS platform, for example, well, I'm looking at all the, the features, the user interface, will this, will this be a fit to, to do what we want it to do, right? Um, but everybody has a beautiful user interface these days, you know, cool features. They all sell it, you know, it's the best of the best. But so, so all that stuff kind of starts to blend together when you're in the buyer's shoes. But what's the very next thing they look at? After that, after all the features and functionality, you check the blocks, they're looking at the cybersecurity program is taking this on going to bring additional risk to our company. And that's, that's the essence of the security questionnaire, right? So if not only on the security questionnaire side, but if you can develop your company's security program to really put security out there front and center, start answering those concerns before it even comes up in the sales discussions, right? right on the website, you know, obviously you don't want to put confidential information out there, but you want to put information that adds credibility that shows that, yes, we put security front and center in our organization. It's what our, it's what our platform or our, what our company is built on. Um, and then you can show third-party attestations, things like SOC 2 audits, for example, and you can show that success of that, you can speak that language um, right out there in your marketing efforts that will absolutely differentiate you because that's an opportunity that so many companies uh, are not yet taking advantage of. And a few do it very, very well, and they are just killing it out there in the marketplace. But you can turn your organization into, into, a, into a market leader in your space by leveraging cybersecurity. We know that because we've, we've done it. We've helped our clients do it. We've, we see that stuff happening out there, and this is the perfect time to do it. Um, you know, five, six years from now, it's, it's going to be more standard, but uh, right now there's still kind of that, that cutting edge uh, opportunity that you can go after. So thanks for joining us today. Reach out anytime. If you have questions about any of this stuff, uh, pick up the book Cyber Rants on Amazon, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Pick up your copy of the Cyber Rants book on Amazon today. And if you're looking to take your cybersecurity program to the next level, visit us online at www.silentsector.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Cyber Rants podcast.